I want that. And that's a statement that we began last Sunday, looking at Psalm chapter 90. And this morning, we're going to look at Psalm chapter number 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm chapter number 1. What we want to do is to help you to grow and to develop and to take on truth from the Word of God in order to apply it to your life. Otherwise, why do we come? Now, granted, you may come for the coffee, but the coffee is not that good. And you may come because of people and, and there may be positive peer pressure that brings you along. But once you arrive here, we want you to leave as a different person, a positively different person, where you have grown and you've taken truth from the Word of God and are able to apply it to your life. And that's exactly what we want to do this morning. And with the statement, I want that, if a child made that statement, we'd tell them, stop being rude. You say please. And you say thank you. But when it comes to things we find in the Word of God, and we read things in the Word of God, and we think to ourselves, that's exactly what I want. And several weeks ago, as I was preparing for these messages, I began reading through the different Psalms and looking at them thinking to myself, that's exactly what I want for my life. And hence the title of the messages, I Want That. In the book of 3 John, verse number 4, it only has one chapter in it, so it's no chapters, just the verse. It says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Last Sunday, we began this principle and we began this thought of I want that. and We want to see different things in our own lives, in our family's lives. We want to see what we do in this life to mean something and last for something bigger and greater than just the here and now. And as a father, I definitely want to have the joy of seeing my children walking in the truth. That is the truth of the Word of God. The truth we find revealed to us through the Holy Spirit with the Word of God. And there's three statements that we made last week we're going to build upon this week. The three statements are, I want God to work in my life. Those are pretty positive I want statements. This isn't, I want more chocolate, or those of you who are yawning this morning as you're coming in, I want more sleep. It's, I want God to work in my life. That's a positive statement. Don't we want that? I absolutely want God to work in my life. I want the creator of the universe to, for me to come alongside him and to him to work in my life. So my life, and the number, point number two is, I want my children to know God's power. So that it's not just God working in my life, that my family will know this also. That's exactly what I want. And maybe you're the same way. I want my family to know the truth. I want God's power to work in them and through them. Something my, a statement my dad made. I'm, I'm going to make a couple of dad statements today that my father made. Is that I want my kids to do bigger and greater things than I have accomplished. Now, as a kid... I always thought to myself, yeah, I'm stronger than my dad. I'm faster than my dad. And I am. But you know, as, as a young kid growing up, as you wrestle with your father, you think to yourself, I'm stronger. But you know what? That's exactly what I want my kids to be. I want them to be smarter than me. So far. It's but I want them to be smarter than me. I want them to be more successful. And you do too. And it's not for selfish ambition so that they'll take really good care of me and my wife Tammy when we're old. It's not for selfish ambition. It's so that they can see God's power working in their life. And you're probably the same way. You don't want God just to work in your life. 
you also want to see God working in your family's life. And if you don't have children here today, that's all right. You can think about your community. The impact that God's making in your life will impact those of you around you that you have influence over. And the third is, I want my work to accomplish eternal value. I want my work to accomplish eternal value. I want the 70 or 80 years that I live here on earth to mean something that's going to last for all eternity. I mean, we can certainly make an impact, but if you know the news cycle, you make the newspaper, you're like, I made the newspaper. The next day, you're old news. Like you're the scrap that goes in the bottom of the birdcage the next day. You know, and one day you're in the news, the next day we're forgotten. The, move, the news has moved on. Some new story ha- has, has taken place. I want my work to accomplish eternal value. So going back to that verse again in 3 John, chapter, uh, verse number 4, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's exactly what I want. This morning we're going to look at Psalm chapter number 1. And Psalm chapter number 1 is described by many Bible commentators as a psalm that is the preface to the rest of the psalms. They actually, it's interesting, they don't know the author and they don't know when it was written. And so maybe the person that was putting together all the psalms, you know, where do we put these in order, decided I have no idea where this one fits, I'm going to put it right at the beginning. And it's a preface, and it's a good way to summarize the goals of the rest of the psalms. If you remember the, the book of Psalms, it was written as songs. And they were used in worship. They were used in temple worship. They were used in ways to help re- people remember and rehearse in their minds. You remember songs. You hear a, a, a jingle or a tune from something back, you know, when you were a, a young child. It's amazing. It happened to me this week. I heard a jingle, and I thought, I know the words of that. And I sung the whole song all by myself in my office. And I sung the whole song based upon a few bars of a, of a song that I hadn't heard in years. And that's a great way to rehearse in our minds. And that's exactly what they did with the Psalms. They went through the truth of the word of God, the things that we, they knew about God, part of their worship. They would use them in temple worship. Some of the Psalms were songs, songs of progression. So what they would do, they would stand on one step of the, and they would sing a line of that Psalm. And then they would go to the next step. And they would sing a line of that Psalm. And as you go up, and it's a song of progression, and you would sing up in part of your worship leading up towards the temple. But we're going to read Psalm chapter number one. It's only six verses. And it begins with the word blessed. As we begin this, that's exactly what I want. I don't want necessarily the blessings of you. That's not what our focus is on blessings of others. We're talking about receiving and living in the blessings of God. I want that for myself. I want that for my family. And I want what I do to have eternal value. Let's read Psalm chapter number one together. And as you go through this, I want you to look for areas here that are positive and also there's some negative statements in this passage. And you think to yourself, I want that. Let's look. Psalm one. Blessed is the man who walks not, one of those negative statements, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree 
planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Today, verse number one begins with a blessed. I want to be blessed. Verse number three continues on. It says, he prospers. Absolutely, I want to see. I'm not talking financial prosperity. I'm saying I want what I do to be of value. And in verse number six, it says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. I want my way to be known by God. I want to be on the same pathway as that God is going on in my life and for my family's life. So in a moment, we're going to pray. And as I pray, I want you to silently pray along with me with anticipation. Something we've been developing over the last several months is an attitude of anticipation. When we open up the word of God and we, we seek to learn from it, we anticipate that God will teach us what he wants to teach us and show us what he wants us to learn so that we can put away the things that we should not be doing and then put on the things that we should be. Let's pray together. Lord, as we open up your word now, Lord, I pray you open our hearts and our minds. Thank you for recording and preserving in Scripture Psalm 1 and the truth that we find in it, the, the, the fact that we can be blessed and it gives us instruction. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this instruction for our lives, that we will be open and willing to learn from you where you have to teach us. And in Jesus' name, amen. And every Sunday we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life, and the principle is this. I must live a different life to experience the blessings of God. I must live a different life to experience the blessings of God. Every Christian here today can experience God's blessings by living like a tree. That's a statement today. So therefore, the question is, what type of tree are you? We're going to look at two different things this morning. The result of God's blessing is, is number one. And verse number three says, He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. He's like a tree. So the question is, if we're to be blessed, we're to be like a tree. Now, we're not thinking physically that you're to walk around, I am a tree, <laughs> I'm a stump. Now, what sort of tree are you? And this is the sort of tree and the description here of what we are to be. So don't get hung up on thinking you're walking around with branches. But let's think about, let's, let's look at what the scripture says for you and for me this morning. It talks about in the last line of that verse, in all that he does, he prospers. We're not talking about financial prosperity here. This doesn't mean that if you do this, you will be rich. If you just have enough faith, then therefore the lotter will be yours. That's not what it's talking about at all. What we're talking about here is spiritual prosperity where true wealth and true value lie. Absolutely, we find in Scripture that, that he takes care of us. The Bible says that he knows us, and he knows us individually. He knows what your needs are, what, not just what your wants are, but also what your needs are. And he promises to provide for you with your needs. He does not promise to give you whatever you want whenever you want it. 
I'm pausing for effect there. Because I want you to, that's exactly the opposite of what our natural way of thinking is. God, if you loved me, you'd give me everything I ever wanted. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about spiritual prosperity. That we will be able to grow and develop and be the people that God created us to be. And with that, our desires begin to merge into his desires. And we get to join God in what he is doing and what he's accomplishing. So we're looking at spiritual prosperity here. The first is five different points. First is to be spiritually alive. To be a tree and as opposed to a piece of wood, a piece of wood is there. It's no longer a tree. It'd be untrue to claim a piece of wood is a tree. It used to be a tree, but it's no longer alive. Now, I'm, I'm thinking deep here. But therefore, in order to be a tree, you must be alive. And every single one of you is alive this morning. So therefore, this applies to you. For a tree to be alive, it must, ha- it must have life. It, it, a tree has natural beauty. It has purpose. It has usefulness. It brings in the carbon dioxide. It grows and then pushes out oxygen. I'm glad it does that. We have a purpose and we're spiritually alive. And every single one of us, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that we were dead in our sins, but we were made alive in Christ Jesus, our our Lord. That's the first point. We're spiritually alive. Second is the result of God's blessing is that you are spiritually nourished by God. A tree planted by streams of water. We're spiritually nourished by God. Have you ever really really been thirsty if you if you need to relate think of a two-year-old being put to bed they are dying of thirst because they don't want to go to bed but have you ever really genuinely been thirsty where your mouth is so dry and you you are walking along and you're thinking to yourself the only thought in your mind is i want water it's amazing chocolate is no longer interesting to you You want a drink. You want water. You think about, and all you think about is getting water. We're talking about nourishment, being spiritually nourished by God. When we are spiritually alive, we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. He's the one that nourishes us. He's the one that gives us the water of life. And I find this incredibly encouraging because I think of myself, and maybe you, you can relate to this. You think of yourself where you are in your own natural abilities, and you think to yourself, maybe you have a really big self-image, and that's a good thing. And you think highly of yourself, and, there, and then you realize there's all these different areas of your life that you can't do. Thinking of our own church and thinking about how we progressed and grown over the years and recognizing that God has brought various people along into our church and he's taught us things along the way. And the amazing thing is seven years ago when our church began, we didn't know everything we know now. And over the course of time, we have learned and developed and God has brought us people along. You know, for the first three and a half years, we didn't have any live music. Do you know who the worship leader was? <laughs> it was it was me. <laughs> and you know what? People still came, and they came back. But you know, we, we used background tracks for the first three and a half years. You know, for the first three plus years, we didn't have a youth group, 
a regular youth group. We had occasional youth activities. We didn't have a regular youth group until three years into our church until God brought the right people along. We didn't come in and tell God, this is how you're going to, in a sense, to use that word nourish. This is how you're going to nourish us. You're going to do this, 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 and this. We simply did what we were able to do with the gifts and abilities that God has given to us. And as God brought other people along, as he's taught us more, as we've learned from him and taken big leaps and bounds and, and steps of faith, God has nourished us with, spiritually nourished us and helped us to grow where we are today. And to be honest with you, in seven years' time from now, if we are still where we are today spiritually, we are not being nourished by him. We're stagnant. And therefore, we're constantly growing. We're constantly developing. And so I want to encourage each and every one of you, whether you've been here for all seven years, which are some of you here, or this is your very first Sunday, there's something for you here at Southwest Baptist Church. We want to help you to nourish and to grow, to use your gifts and abilities in the way that God has equipped you. Not that we have a need. It's that God, we want to use your gifts and abilities for his honor and glory. We're spiritually nourished by God because we are spiritually alive in him. And as a result, we are spiritually fruitful. That verse number three continues on. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. There's an old statement that's been well used. We are blessed to be a blessing. I learned that in Bible college, and I thought it was so innovative and then I realized that my, my college professor stole it from somebody else. We are blessed when we are a blessing to others. One of the wonderful joys is the ability to, and as a tree, if it's a fruit tree, its purpose is to bear fruit. We have a number of trees. My wife and I, as farmers, <laughs> we would starve. We, we, really, we would definitely starve. We plant corn. And it grew up, and I don't. We didn't get anything off that dumb thing, and so we tilled it into the ground, and we just called it a bad. It was a dry season, and so next next year, this spring, we're going to. I don't know what we're going to do. I think we should plant carrots that way we don't have to see anything until at the end we'll be disappointed. And and as a farmer, we would starve. But you plant something in the ground, you expect it to grow and produce what you have planted it to do. I will say, though, a little side note, we planted a lime tree a few years ago, and we got two little limes on it, so we are, we are, we're on our way. The whole reason why you have fruit trees is to bear fruit. That's pretty obvious. What a wonderful joy it is to turn that around and to think, as an individual, if you and I are the trees, and we have, can spare and we can give spiritual fruit out to others. What a wonderful joy it is when God looks at us and says, that person or that tree is doing exactly what I want them to do. And that doesn't build us pride within us. What it does, it turns it around and goes, God, thank you so much that I can be fruitful for you. Thank you that I can do something that's going to be like that last statement of eternal value. As something that's going to outlast my life. So one of the, the benefits or one of the results of, of, of God's blessing is that we get to bear spiritual fruit. The, the fourth is, the D, is spiritually enduring. 
The verse goes on, it says, and its leaf does not wither. If you lived here in Dialup, you understand that we are built on sand that has no nourishment in it at all. In fact, it's a lovely yellow color, which tells us it has absolutely no nutrients in it at all. And my grass, I water it, and I stand there, and I fertilize it, and I wet a soil it, and I water it, and it comes up green. And then summertime comes along, and you probably have felt my same pain that I feel. And the, the first hot day comes along, it goes, and it withers away. And then you get out there, and you water it again, and water it again, because our high-quality soil that we've built on has no real nutrients in it at all. In a similar way, the leaf does not wither. We want to be spiritually enduring. We want to build something that's going to last. Those three statements are made in the beginning. I want God to work in my life. I want my children to know God's power. Third is I want my work to accomplish eternal value. Go down to verse number four. Verse number four of that passage continues on, and it says, The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. I did a little bit of research on this. When they have grain that came up, they didn't have the big combine harvesters that did all this in one. What they would do, they would harvest the wheat, for instance, and they would have a stalk of wheat, uh, and they have the grass portion and then the, the grains on the end. And they would take them, and they what's called threshing them. They would hit them. All the all their aggression would be taken out. And they'd beat it down, and they'd end up with the grain along with all this other stuff called the chaff. And what they would do, there is a term called, they would winnow it. Or they would call winnow. They would take it and put it in a basket or something, and they would throw it in the air in a breeze, and the breeze would blow away all the chaff which had no value, there's no grains in that, nothing to, to break down into, into the, the, the flour that they would make their bread out of, and that would just flow away into the wind. And then the good stuff comes down to the ground, and they'd gather that together, and that would be the wheat. That would be the food. Now, as a kid growing up, we had horses on our property that didn't belong to us, but we would often go out and feed them. And you see what they would eat, and sometimes as kids, like they had little things called pony pellets, which are just big pellets of grass that all mushed together. And you'd chew on one just to see, like, what does a horse's food taste like? It's not good. And you, the horse's chaff, which is all that grass chopped up, never was appealing to me. If you want to you know what chaff is like, it's like eating dried muesli or dried oats without any moisture in them at all or or honey. And so there's no real value. It just blows away in the wind. The positive is, it says their, their, their leaf does not wither. Going on, the wicked are not so, but they're like the chaff which the wind drives away. I'd much rather be the strong tree that's enduring, that has going to live for something bigger and greater than the here and now. There are ups and downs in your life. There are times of mountaintop experiences, and then you may be one of those people right now that you're on the top, 
Everything is going great. God is blessing you, encouraging you. You're walking around with your head held high. There's others of you that you may be on the downward slope, wherever you are. You may be in the very bottom pit right now. You think to yourself, I, I can't get out of this. Well, according to the scripture, you're living a blessed life. You may find yourself at the bottom, but you're enduring and your relief does not wither, as it says there in Scripture, he will bring you up out of that. You cannot do that in your own strength, in your own power, but he can do that in you and through you. And I hope that's an encouragement to you today, because some of you may find yourself in the low point. You may find yourself without a job, or a family member is unwell, or, or their own personal sickness, or something around you is stressing you out, keeping you up at night. You think to yourself, I'm at the bottom point here. What, according to the Scripture... My leaf does not wither. Maybe you can grab onto that and say, I want that. That's what I want, God. Will you work in me and through me? The fifth point there, through that verse, verse number three, I'm going to read the whole verse. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And this is something really positive at the end. In all that he does, he prospers. He spiritually grows. Last week, Caden, my son Caden and I went down south into the Warren National Park and we camped out for a couple of nights and it was cold. <laughs> if you ever want your teenage son to hug you, just take him to a really cold location and they hug you. It's, it's wonderful. You see these magnificent trees down south. I absolutely love the big carry forest and climbing the trees. I, I just love that. I never get tired of driving through these magnificent trees. And occasionally you'll see one that's fallen down or it's been cut up. And you see all the different rings and all the different years of growth. And it grows and grows and grows over years. And you can tell, well, that year was a good year. It was, a, in a sense, a fat year of growth. And other years are quite narrow. Oh, there's a fire this, this particular season. See how it's blackened? back in right there was some rot right in this year and you can tell the story of the tree and the growth rings much like you and i they're not the whole they're not who that is it's a part of who they are and in your ups and in your downs you will grow you'll grow in the big times and the great times you also grow in the difficult times of your life you'll grow and they will tell a story about who you are. To relate that to people, maybe you can turn that around and relate that to your wrinkles. But you know, the wrinkles in you, everywhere, know, they tell a story. <laughs> you know, you know, this is my kids. You know, <laughs> this is work. You tell a story of who you are. And so therefore, when you look at the growth rings of your life, you can look back on it and says, and all that he does, he prospers. But, but well, hang on, that was a really difficult year. That was a difficult season of my life. I don't want to go back to that. Yes, you may not want to go back to that, but you can say I prospered through it so, and I grew as a result. I learned the lessons I needed to learn to help me become who God created me to be so that I can move on to other things. One of the most foolish things that you and I can do, whether you are mature as a Christian or a baby Christian, whether you're, you're you know, mature in age or young in age, Every single one of us will be very foolish if we did not learn from our past mistakes. 
but also not just past mistakes. We want to learn from our past successes as well. We want to be able to learn from our past so that we can move on and forward through that. And that finally is that, is that spiritual growth is all that he does, he prospers. That word prosper, going back to the original meaning of that word, it quite literally means to push forward. And all that he does, he pushes forward in growth. Jesus, when he was with his disciples, nearing the end of his time here on earth, as recorded in the book of John, Verses 14 and on is the last the season of Jesus on earth before he went to the cross and he was crucified. And he had just told his disciples, I am going to leave you. And his disciples, they're, you know, they're quite literally, their, their hearts went, whoa. And they go, you can't leave us. What, what are you going to do? We, we can't do this without you. And he promises to send the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm going to send you the comforter who will reveal all things to you, which is exactly what they needed. And he says, in fact, it's a good thing that I go, because if I didn't go, then the Holy Spirit would not come. And so it's better that I go so that he will be there with you. And he tells an, an account of a vine. And in a similar way with the tree illustration used in Psalm 1, Jesus in John chapter number 15 used an illustration about a vine. And we're going to read several verses through this. If it's on the screen, if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. And in John 15, it's the imagery that he just gave them bad news. I'm going to leave you. What gave them the confidence to move forward? What gave them the confidence, as it says in, in the following passage in the book of Acts, that they turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ? It wasn't their own strength and their own ability. Let's look at what it says there. Verse number four. Abide in me. Abide quite literally means live. Live in me. Your life is in me. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, I'm really glad that Jesus laid it out clearly. And he knew his disciples very well. So he gave a, a, an illustration, and then he had to just summarize it. Okay, guys, I am the vine, you're the branches. You got it? Then he can move on. And I no doubt that his disciples would go, oh, good. I was thinking I was the branches, and I was all confused. Verse number five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse number seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask and whatever you wish, it will be done for you. That is not a get rich quick scheme. That is when our wills are in line with the will of God. We join him and we begin praying that his will will be done. And then it says, and it will be done to you. Verse number 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. When you think about it, these were 12 disciples. Some of them were fishermen. Some of them were, were known as zealots, were kind of like the terrorists of the day. These were not loving. Uh, you can imagine, love one another. Do I have to? <laughs> Do I have to show love for them? This is quite revolutionary for them in that this is going to change the way they look at different people. Rather than looking at them in a, what can you do for me? 
This is now, what can I do for you? How can I show love to you? This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends, Jesus says. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard of my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Hear that fruit again. Bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The quote that I have here, fruit is for the benefit of others, not the tree. Fruit is for the benefit of others, not the tree. So we begin with, in the beginning there, we begin with the result of the blessings. In other words, I want that. For the next few moments, and it's only going to be on the next few moments, we're going to go through the other side of that, the strategy to God's blessings. This is going back to the beginning of the psalm. We begin in verse number three. We're going to go back to verse number one and look at the first two verses. The psalmist, in the verse number one, some negative statements and some positive statements in verse number two. It says there, the strategy to God's blessings. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The, to summarize verse number one, we summarize it with, with this A there, which is follow godly wisdom. He makes three negative statements. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. We summarize it by saying just follow godly wisdom. The opposite of following worldly wisdom. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's three things we're going to look at very, very quickly there. The first one is the counsel of the wicked. The thought of counsel is who is, is ruling you, who is controlling you, who is guiding you and your thoughts. In our world around us, we are surrounded by to use that terminology, the counsel of the wicked. It does not take a great deal of, of effort to find very, very poor influences around us. We're surrounded by negative influences. It's not just we'll pick on TV. It's not just TV. It's the Internet. It's our work colleagues, the people we go to school with. It's sometimes, you know, we hope it's not our influence. We're hoping it's a positive influence. We're, we are we're the, the Jesus Christ in, in our communities. But going on from that, it says that the counsel of the wicked. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter number 2, verses 15 and through 17, gives us some advice here on how to confront, as it says, the, the counsel of the wicked. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world passes away and along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God, that word again, abides, 
abides forever. So the real question is, if we're not to stand in the counsel of the wicked, we are to stand in the counsel or the teaching and the direction of God. What is God doing in your life? How is he training you and developing you? Congratulations, you! I believe you're in the right place this morning, being in church and surrounded by other people to encourage you and uplift you and to sometimes tell you you're doing wrong when you're doing wrong. And the second part of that verse is, in verse number 1 of Psalm 1, it says, to stand in the way of sinners. The way of sinners. That way of sinners is the understanding of the unrepentant. Those are the people that know that they're doing wrong, and it does not bother them at all. In fact, they celebrate their debauchery. They celebrate when they do wrong as if it was normal and as if it was right. And it says there in that passage, we are blessed when we don't stand in the way of sinners. I think a good strategy of this, because we are surrounded by sin all around us. And I've jokingly said, but somewhat seriously said, if it really worked, that we could totally shelter our children and take them off to some, some, some place and never expose them to any outside influences. If that actually worked, we would probably do it, but it doesn't work at all. So don't encourage you. I did not tell you to go out and to live on some, some cultish area. I did not say that. But we, we are constantly surrounded by, by sinful things. A good way of doing this, and I've shown that I've been implementing in my own family's life that I, maybe is an encouragement and a help to you, is that like the other night, uh, we were watching a, a PG movie, and it's actually what we would call a good movie. And in that movie, there was some PG language. And another dad quote my dad made was that PG, and we, we, we complained, but dad, it's only PG. He would say, it's PG, stands for parental guidance. I'm your parent, and I'm guiding you. And I remember as a kid, I hated that. And now guess who uses that with his own kids? <laughs> when something comes on TV and that maybe a, a bad word or something that is, is, not, is not correct, rather than ignoring it, I call it out every single time. And I was quite proud of my youngest daughter the other night. They said something on the TV. It was a, it was a PG movie, but they said a PG word that wasn't completely, you know, it was a PG swear word. And she goes, he shouldn't have said that. I'm, like, I'm proud. Because oftentimes when there's a word that comes on, I make some weird noise. And my kids know it. They go, I go like, <laughs> along the way, just to drown out the word. But also, I want my, my kids to know that that's not right. We're constantly surrounded by things in our life, and we cannot totally shelter our, our families completely from everything that is wrong around us. It's constantly around us. But when it is in front of us, we can acknowledge and go, you know what, that's not right. That's not the way it should be. And then follow up with something positive. And I have found that my family, actually, besides going, Dad, they respond really well to because they know it's not right. So therefore, in, in, the, in the way of sinners, moving on from that, the seed of scoffers, that's the last part of that verse. The seed of scoffers, the scoffers are one who mock. I mean, certainly we see mocking of the things of God all around us. It is now politically correct to mock Jesus and politically incorrect to stand up for what is right and what is true and what is biblical. We see that con continually around us. And to just sit there to sit to, in the seat of scoffers, we're told in, in, the, in the scripture to be 
in the world, but not of the world. Nowhere in Scripture does it explicitly say that. There's no verse that says, be in the world, but not of the world. But we take a number of different passages of Scripture, like Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, which says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there's other passages that talk about we certainly must live in this world, but that doesn't mean that we sit at the feet of people that are going to mock Jesus Christ and accept it as if it was normal and if it was right. Because if we do, they will influence us. They will change the way that we think. And we will naturally digress when we're surrounded and we surround ourselves with things that are ungodly. We don't naturally rise above those things. We naturally go down. How do we renew our mind, as it says there in verse number 2 of, of Romans 12? Because it's all well and good to, for, for Scripture to say, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But how do we do that? That's exactly what Psalm chapter number 1, verse number 2 addresses. How can we renew our minds? How can we live the blessed life? And we're going to finish with this, this last statement. In verse number 2 it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That is joyful anticipation. I'm joyfully anticipating, God, you're going to do something big and great. As you read your Bible, as you get into God's word, as you come to church, you anticipate that, God, you have something for me today. And you look for it. And I honestly believe when you look for God to work, you see him work. If you come in with the attitude of, God, I dare you to teach me something today. And those of you who are teachers here, you probably have students like that, and they're, they're hard to teach. They're hard to, to grasp, to, to bring to the next level because they're so obstinate. But when a, a student comes in and says, I want to learn, will you show me what I need to learn? How do I do this problem? That's exactly what we find here with the delights in the law of the Lord. And the second part of that is he meditates on it day and night. As I've taught in the past, meditation is not the emptying of your mind and, and saying, um, a bunch of times. What the meditation in the Bible talks about is that we are to open, to, to, to open our minds to the things of God and to think about them. I've used the illustration in the past of chewing on something. As you read Scripture, one of the things that I find personally helpful is that I read and go, okay, that was nice, and I move on for the rest of the day, and I don't process it. But if I just spend a few moments' time reflecting, another way of doing it is I rephrase it. I try to explain back to myself, what did I just read just then? And I find things jump out. And that's part of that meditation of, of speaking back and thinking over the things of God. And I believe when we open the door to God working in us and through us, then he does his part and he will give you the truth. He will give you what you need. There may be times in your life when you read something or you learn something and you think, I have no idea what I'm going to do with that. In a positive way, you file it away. And then when you do need it, it's there like ammunition. It's there ready to be used when God opens the door for you. We, we've seen the result of God's blessing, also the strategy of God's blessing. And this morning, as, as you go out, in a moment we're going to close with a song. I want you to go in with the attitude of, I want that. 
And as you read the Bible this week, let me challenge you. If you, if you read the Bible every day, well done. But if you don't, try, try just reading it tomorrow. Say, so I'm going to read one verse. I'm going to read one chapter. And with that, read it with anticipation. It says that he delights in the law of the Lord. And read it with anticipation. I want that. There's something in here that I can find from my life so that you work in my life, you work in the power in my children's life, and also what I do will be of eternal value.